All right, brothers and sisters, I invite you to take your Bibles. Let's turn for our scripture reading this morning to Galatians chapter 6. And we'll look together at verses 7 through 10. Galatians 6. We'll look together at verses 7 through 10. This is God's holy word for us, His people, today. God's Word says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is God's holy word for us. Let's ask Him to bless His word. Father, thank you for the gift of your holy word. We ask that you would bless the reading of your word today, and that you would also bless the preaching of your word. Just help me to disappear and just let your truth stand forth from your word. Write that truth upon our hearts today and mark our lives by the power of your word today. For you alone have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else we can go, nowhere else we want to turn. We turn to you today with open ears and ready hearts. And we ask you, speak, O Lord, and do not let us leave the same. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was visiting with a woman one time, and it was around Christmas, and she had a very lovely small Christmas tree sitting on a table. And it was just Beautiful, beautifully decorated, but she wasn't proud of it. And I said, you know, that's a very lovely Christmas tree you have there. I really like that. And she's like, yeah, it's okay. This was an, an elderly woman, and, she was, and, and she's like, nah, it's okay. It's, I'm not that happy with it. And she walked over, and she like tweaked a little something while I was standing there. And I was like, well, why, do you, why aren't you happy with it? And she said, she said well, I'm just cursed I said, oh, why do you say that? Why are, you, why are you cursed? And she said, well, you see, I'm a perfectionist. Only problem is I'm not perfect. So I'm never satisfied. And I thought, hmm, that's going in the file for a sermon. <laughs> That'll preach. What a lesson that is. The imperfect perfectionist is never satisfied. Don't you find that to be true? Now, I'm doubly cursed, especially when I was in college, because I was a procrastinating perfectionist. <laughs> so I waited till the night before it was due and then spent all night trying to get it just perfect when I had six months. Right? So that's a double curse, but that one's partly my fault. Right? The imperfect perfectionist, is never satisfied. Now, this isn't much of a curse, really, when it comes to holiday decorations. But 
it is ruinous to our lives and to other people's lives when we take this approach to ethics, to our own moral and spiritual condition. Perfectionist ethics sets us up for unhappiness, disappointment, guilt, and shame because we are deeply imperfect moral creatures. And if we set our own standards to perfection, we will never be happy, never satisfied. We'll feel guilt and shame and embarrassment. We'll especially feel that way if we let other people set those standards of perfection for us. Now I'm not only not measuring up to my own standards, now I'm disappointing someone else's expectations. And that, and that can be ruinous to our moral lives. Imperfect perfectionism has a twin evil that comes with it, and that is intolerant perfectionism. This is when we're a perfectionist, but about you, not about me. When I have perfectionist standards for others, and I have excuses for myself, that is the world we live in. It may not seem like it, because everything's so immoral around us, right? But actually, we live in a culture that's obsessed with ethics. It's just other people's ethics. It's perfectionist standard, and it's an intolerant perfectionism. That's where things like cancel culture comes from. And it doesn't matter if it's it's something you messed up on yesterday or 20 years ago. If it's just one thing, you're done. Your reputation's done. Your career's over. All the doors of opportunity will slam shut. You're finished. That's what cancel culture does. And it, and as much as we like to, for people on the right to say it's people on the left who do that, it happens on the right as well. We love to see people's lives ruined because they don't meet our perfectionist standards. And that's where perfectionism towards others can make us arrogant and impatient and harsh and critical and judgmental. And isn't that the atmosphere we live in? Excuses for me, rigorous punishment for you. But Christian ethics is not like that. Christian ethics is not imperfect perfectionism, and Christian ethics is not intolerant perfectionism. You know why? Because we're Christians. We are the people who still believe in forgiveness. We are the people who preach a gospel of grace. We are people who believe in a God of restoration, a gospel of reconciliation, of renewal. We don't like, as Christians, we don't like, or at least we shouldn't like, to see ruined lives. We like to see redeemed lives. And that's why we know how to accept an apology. If someone royally messes up and says, I'm guilty, I admit it, I regret it, I'm sorry, I will change, we're the people who know how to say, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Be whole. Be restored. We're those people. We will stand out in a culture like ours if we cultivate that kind of character. 
both for ourselves and for others. We know how to accept an apology even from our enemies. Not easy, but it's what we're called to do. Now, why? Why are we like this? It's because our ethics flow from the gospel of Jesus Christ. All followers of Jesus are called to cultivate virtue, moral excellence in our lives. We're all called to this. Second Peter chapter 1, most of that chapter is about how we're called to cultivate moral and spiritual excellence and virtue. We are called to grow a Christian character. But we're to do so not as perfectionists, but as forgiven, justified sinners. So that as we sin and fail, which we will continue to do, we do not get crushed and crippled by all sorts of guilt and shame. Not that we don't get ashamed of our sin, and not that we don't take sin seriously. We do take it seriously. But we take it seriously with a serious gospel of grace that knows how to forgive and heal and change. That's where our cultivation of Christian character comes from. We are called, make no mistake, you and I are called to be conformed to the image of Christ, to cultivate His character in our own hearts and lives. But we do so at, not as perfectionists, but as what you might call progressivists. We're not here for perfection, we're here for progress. Growing Christian character is a lifelong process of steady progress in this life. And then full perfection is promised to us in the life to come. Earlier from our passage in Galatians 5, Paul says this in chapter 5, verse 5. He says, through the Spirit... By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Full perfection in righteousness has been declared to you by faith. That's justification, forgiveness of all your sins, perfectly righteous in God's sight. And yet in our lives, we are not perfectly righteous. But one day, God's verdict and our actual moral condition will be identical. But it's not in this life. It's something we're eagerly waiting for. And it's something we're promised. But the path to get there is to cultivate our Christian character in this life. In our passage this morning, Paul gives, Paul gives us a beautiful illustration it was very popular in the ancient world and also in the Old Testament. It's an illustration of how to grow Christian character in Galatians 6. He uses a very fruitful analogy, if you will. He uses the analogy of farming. He compares growing Christian character to farming, to planting and harvesting, to sowing and reaping. And there are some real spiritual lessons that are rich for us to take away for our own spiritual growth as Christians from this passage. Because we all want to grow, right? If we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we all want to grow. No matter how good we think we are now, 
we know we still need to grow, and we all want to grow. We all want to be good, faithful, obedient Christians who follow Jesus closely and who serve Him well and live our lives in a way that's truly pleasing to God. I want that. I believe you want that. You want your life to glorify God. You want to be a good and kind and loving and just person towards the people in your lives. And you want to be courageous and strong and bold and steadfast. You want to be fruitful and faithful and fulfilled in your own life and in your own walk with the Lord. How do you do that? Those are the things of Christian character. Those are the things that we have to grow and cultivate, right? We don't get zapped by God and just have all this stuff at the, at the beginning of our Christian walk. It's stuff that we have to grow up into. It comes with Christian maturity. It's part of discipleship. And that's what we're called to pursue. This is what Christian character actually looks and feels like when it's yours when you have it in your own life. And all of us have room to grow more and more of this kind of character. And this morning, Paul tells us how. And he does it by using some simple lessons from this illustration of sowing and reaping. So let's look together and see what he says and see what God has for us today. First point this morning, the first thing that we need to know if we're going to grow Christian character. First thing to know is this. God has created and oversees a universe of laws. God's world operates according to laws, and it does so at every level. We know this when it comes to the physical world, laws of nature. Now, our scientific laws of nature are not prescriptions about how the world has to behave. They are descriptions that we have discovered and found out about, about how the world normally behaves under normal circumstances. And so we have laws like gravity, laws of thermodynamics, laws... And you just, you, you know, Google laws of nature, laws of physics, and, and they're all there. We know how certain chemicals will react and interact with other chemicals... Right? And we trust that science every time we take a pill or go to a doctor or, or allow any kind of substance to be injected into us or to take cough medicine. Like we trust that, okay, the chemicals in this substance are going to react in a positive way with the chemicals of my body. And right, that's how medicine works. If you get in a car, right, science has certain laws about combustion and engines. And, so you trust, you just implicitly trust all these laws for just the regular behavior of the world. And God designed the world that way. He's a God who made and oversees a world that operates by these laws, and He works with and through them. But not just in the physical world, He does it when it comes to ethics and morality as well. God oversees a moral order. He governs a world of moral and spiritual law as well. So that when we sin, there are certain faint consequences attached to sins that affect us and other people. There are laws of the moral world and the spiritual realm as well. And there's a law of human nature, a moral law of human nature. We have an enormous potential for good and for evil. 
Each one of us has an enormous potential for excellence and for atrocities. We are capable of tremendous altruism and sacrifice and goodness and virtue, and we are capable of some of the most despicable things, just human beings in general. And if we look at atrocities from history and we think, wow, those people, man, glad I'm not like that. Just realize that those were normal people who found themselves in a very morally dark place and did things that probably 10 years before they didn't think they were capable of. So we don't need to underestimate the potential of a human being to be very good and to be very evil. It all comes from character. There's a law, moral law, that connects our character together, that binds our thoughts and actions and intentions into one whole character. Our character depends on which of these potentials we activate and cultivate. Your potential for good or your potential for bad. Which one are you activating? Which one are you cultivating? Paul uses the laws of planting and harvesting, right? Normal natural laws about the physical world. He uses these laws of planting and harvesting to teach us a lesson in moral and spiritual cultivation and development. In other words, he tells us how to grow a Christian character by using this great illustration of harvesting. Now, I call it the law of the harvest, the law of the harvest. And the reason it's called a law is because it is inviolable. That's what a law is, right? You don't, you don't break the laws. And this is a law because Paul says, first thing in our, in our passage, he says in verse 7, he says, do not be deceived. Okay? Don't think you're the exception. <laughs> don't think you can get away with it and everybody else can't. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, you can't play fast and loose with the rules. You can't break them and expect to get away with them. There's a moral and spiritual law at play here. The law of the harvest. And don't be so foolish or naive or think you're such a precious, unique flower (laughs) that you operate or play by different rules. We're all the same here. This law puts us all on the same playing field. God is not going to be mocked. This law will fulfill itself in our lives, one way or another, like it or not. In other words, all of us have a character, and it will be a good one or a bad one or a very complicated mixed one, but we all have one. We're all cultivating one all the time. The only question is, Are you cultivating it from the good or from the evil potential? The law of the harvest is a set of rules about farming that applies directly as an analogy of growing Christian character. Now, here's what the rules are. Here's what the rules are. We get a couple of them straight from this passage, and then we get a couple of them from other places in Paul's writings where he uses this same analogy. So here's what, here are the rules for the law of the harvest. Number one, you reap what you sow. That's just right there in the verse, right? Verse seven. Do, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You reap what you sow. And that means the seeds determine the crop. The seeds determine the crop. So we all know this. 
We don't plant corn and harvest tomatoes. Right? We don't plant apples and get turnips. We, you know, it, right, we get this. Right? This is an easy one. You, you, you get the result of what you sow. You reap what you sow. So the things you put in the ground will tell you what's coming out. You reap what you sow, rule number one. Rule number two, you reap where you sow. In the passage, there are two different grounds you can sow in. You can sow to your own flesh in verse 8, or you can sow to the Spirit. Two grounds, two fields, two soils, two places where you can sow. To the flesh or to the Spirit. And if you plant seeds in the flesh, you're only going to get what the flesh can produce. And if you plant seeds in the Spirit, you'll get what the Spirit can produce. You reap what you sow, and you reap where you sow. From the flesh, and you get what the flesh has to give, or from the Spirit, and you get what the Spirit has to give. Third rule, you reap the product of what you sow. Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians 15, 36 to 38. He says, you put the seed in the ground, the seed dies, takes root, grows, and something that looks nothing like a seed comes out. It's the product of what you sow. The seed doesn't come out looking the same as when it went in. The seed changes form over time and grows fruit that ripens into character. And so if there's something that, if you do something in a situation or say something and you kind of surprise yourself like, wow, I, don't, I didn't expect that I would just have that kind of bad reaction to that. Where did that come from? Well, that came from a seed that didn't look like that reaction. But a seed was planted over here and it went into your, into your character, it went into your soul, into your heart, mind, and life. And then it does what seeds do, it takes root, it changes form, and it comes out as that really bad comment you just made. Or the other way, you plant something positive, and it comes out as this surprising act of generosity. Wow, I'm normally not like that. <laughs> wow, that was better than I thought I was. Right, where did that come from? Well, there was a seed over here, and it came out over there. Right, the, you reap what you sow, you reap where you sow, and you reap the product of what you sow. That seed germinates, changes, comes out in your behavior somewhere else. It ripens into character. Fourth, you reap what you sow, where you sow, the product of what you sow, and then this one's important, you reap in proportion to what you sow. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the one who sows little reaps little. That makes sense. The one who sows bountifully reaps bountifully. That also makes sense. I can't plant one seed and get a field of corn. It doesn't work that way. If you plant a little in the Spirit, you're not going to get much from the Spirit. If you plant a little in the flesh, you won't get much from the flesh. If you plant a bunch in the flesh, well, you're going to get a big crop of flesh. <laughs> you plant a lot in the Spirit, you'll get a big crop from the Spirit. You reap in proportion to how much you're sowing. I remember having a conversation with my youth pastor when I was in middle school. And I remember asking him for some advice about how to overcome some struggle I was having, you know, in like sixth grade or something. So like nothing major. And I, I remember asking him like, I, 
like, I keep doing this thing, and I know it's wrong. I can't remember what it is now, but I just remember the illustration he gave, and he was like, well, let me, let me put it to you like this. It's Scott Simmons. Thank you, Scott. He's not watching. But Scott said, well, listen, Wesley, you've got, think about it like this. In your heart, you've got basically these two dogs, and if you feed one and don't feed the other, one's going to be healthy and one's going to be pretty weak, right? I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And he's like, well, when it comes to this thing you're struggling with, which dog are you feeding? The one that wants to do the, the, this wrong thing or the one that doesn't want to do it? And now that was pretty simple, but that, you know, that helped me as a sixth grader. I was like, you know, you're right. You're right. I'm feeding the wrong thing. There's a part of me that loves to, to, to misbehave and sin. There's a part of me that doesn't. That's Romans 7. The things I want to do, I can't do. The things I hate, man, I keep doing those things. So who am I? Romans 7. And it's like, which dog are you feeding? Or as in Paul's example, where are you sowing? And how much are you sowing? If you sow a lot to the Spirit, you're going to get that spiritual crop. If you sow a lot to the flesh, you're just going to get that fleshly, worldly, sinful crop. And you can tell the difference. Last thing about this law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. You reap where you sow. You reap the product that you sow. You reap in proportion to what you sow. And then the last thing I'll say about this is you reap long after you sow. You see that in verse 9? Let us not grow weary. Why? For in due season. I've never met anybody who planted their corn in the season they were supposed to be harvesting their corn. Well, it's time for the harvest. Better start planting. No, you don't plant in the same season that you reap. The harvest comes a season or two later. A few months have to go by. And the seeds that you plant at one time, you might think, no big deal. But down the line, in due season, those things will ripen into some aspect of your character. Those seeds will develop into some aspect of your character. And if you find yourself in a place where you think, man, how did I end up here? I wasn't like this six months ago. Well, it's due season. It's harvest time. You're reaping what you've sown. And Paul says, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. You can't break these rules. These, these laws of the harvest will play themselves out. God set it up that way, and he oversees this whole process. It's not just in the fields when it's planting season with literal crops. It's a moral and spiritual law as well. God is not mocked. Your character will come out. The kind of person you are will reveal itself. God governs a world of moral and spiritual laws, and you cannot escape this process. You are always planting seeds every day, and you're always cultivating character. You're planting and you're watering character every day. And the key is to understand these laws and use them for your benefit and for your advantage, to work with them, not against them. Now, how do we do that? That's the next point Paul takes us to. Paul says we must sow to the Spirit, not to the flesh. So let's look at sowing to the Spirit. 
in simple terms. I kept looking at study Bibles and commentaries, and it's like, can someone just tell me what sowing to the Spirit is? Why, why does no commentator want to tell me? <laughs> why do I have to figure this out myself? I mean, I went to seminary for a while, but I shouldn't have to do all the work myself at this point. <laughs> help me. And, you know, I didn't get much help, so I had to think about it. I had to sit, and I had to think about it, and I was like, Lord, what does this mean? And I got little, little hints and clues here and there. But here's, in simple terms, here's what I think it means to sow to the Spirit. What does that mean? Sowing to the Spirit means planting seeds in the Spirit. Right? Sowing what to the Spirit? Well, seeds. Okay. Planting seeds in the Spirit. What is the seed? What kind of moral, spiritual seeds do I have to plant into the Spirit? What is that? Here's what I think it means. It means planting your life in the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to put forth His life-giving character through you the way a tree puts forth fruit through its branches. To plant yourself like a vine. I am the vine, you're the branches. To plant yourself like a branch into the life-giving vine to connect yourself, root yourself, ground yourself, plant yourself in the Holy Spirit and let Him put forth the life-giving character of Christ through you. The way a branch on the tree just naturally sprouts its fruit. How do you do that? How do you plant yourself like seeds into the Spirit? And I think Scripture gives us some insights into how to do this. It's a two-step process. It's a two-step process. First, plow the ground, and then plant the seed. First, you've got to plow the ground, and then you have to plant the seed. Remember, we are coming at Christian character from the starting point of the gospel, which is where we confess our sins, repent of them, and turn to Christ to be forgiven and made whole and new so that we can even begin this process of growing in Christ. We start with the gospel, and that means we have to start by plowing up that old ground that's unfruitful, and we do that through repentance. We've got to plow up the old hard ground. Remember the the parable of the four soils? Three of those soils were useless. One was just rock, Nothing could, just, the seed just landed on top of the soil. Birds came by, picked it up. Nothing grew there. Another soil had, so, it was so shallow, nothing took root. And it, there was a problem with all these. We got to plow up the ground so that we have good soil. Plow the ground. This is what Hosea, prophet Hosea, chapter 10, verse 12 says. He tells, he's prophesying to a sinful nation. And he says, sow your, for yourselves righteousness. And reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is, t- it is the time to seek the Lord. That he may come and rain righteousness upon you. That's nice. That, that parallels what Paul's saying very nicely. Plow up that old unrepentant ground. Plow it up. Dig it under. So that the Lord can come. And rain his righteousness upon you. Remember our Old Testament reading? That the Lord is going to cause righteousness and praise to sprout forth from within us. 
That's what we're after. We're after a gospel-based process of growing our character. And we do that by plowing up that old ground first. And once we've done that through repentance, then it's time to plant the seeds. Then it's time to plant your life in the Spirit. Human life can be broken down into at least four basic parts. Your mind, your heart, your will, and your relationships. Mind, heart, will, and relationships. And you can think of each of these as seeds that you must sow to the Spirit. Plant deep in the soil of the Holy Spirit. Your mind, heart, will, and relationships must be grounded in the Spirit and the things of Christ so that they can take root and grow into a harvest of Christian character. Plant your life, and you've got these four basic kinds of seeds, mind, heart, will, and relationships. Your mind are your thoughts. It's your thoughts and your focus and your attention. Plant those in the Spirit, not the flesh. Romans 8, verse 5, the mind that is set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. If your mind is set on the flesh, you can't please God. But if it's set in the Spirit, you can. Plant your thoughts, your focus, your attention on the things of the Spirit. Plant them like seeds. Your heart, that's your attitudes, your values, your commitments. Plant your heart in the Spirit, not in the flesh. How might we do that? We look to the Scriptures for instruction. Psalm 34, 1. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Make that a value and a commitment that I'm going to continuously praise the Lord. Or Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Adopt an attitude that's going to rejoice. Come whatever. Come whatever will. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, pray without ceasing, give thanks in every circumstance. Man, if you adopted those attitudes and those commitments, if you made those the the values of your heart that you're going to plant every day in the Spirit, I am going to praise the Lord today, I am going to rejoice in Him today, and I am going to pray, that means depend upon Him today, Trust in Him, and I'm going to give thanks no matter what circumstances I face today. The long line at the grocery store, I'm going to give Him praise. That big, big, thick traffic jam that took you three hours, okay, harder, but I'm still going to praise Him, <laughs> right? It's having these commitments to where you, you don't let your heart just jump over into the flesh because as soon as you get into the negativity and the and the nastiness, and the bitterness, and the impatience, and the grumbling, then it just, you're planting those seeds in the flesh. That's going to come out somewhere else as character down the line. You don't want that. You want to plant your heart, your attitudes, values, and commitments in the Spirit by being a person committed to praising the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, depending upon Him each day with prayer, and giving thanks always. Cultivate that heart. And see what kind of character comes out of that. Your will. That's your desires. Your decisions. Your actions. Paul alludes to that in verses 9 and 10. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. 
And then he says in verse 10, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. So your will is your desires, your decisions, your actions. You're going to commit by an act of will that I am going to persist in doing good. And as you do good, you will grow in doing good. Right? This is what virtue ethics is all about. Cultivating virtuous habits of excellence. Practice these things. And then your relationships. That's your friends. Right? Your partners. Boyfriends, girlfriends, husband, wife. And your influences. Who do you allow to speak into your life? You're not just sowing seeds. Other people are sowing into you as well. What seeds do they have that they're sowing into you? Be mindful of that. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character. Or the ESV says, bad company ruins good morals. Right? The influences. The influences. It means don't be a part of bad company, and then you don't be bad company either. Because you're sowing seeds into other people too. And so if you focus on these things, plant your life in the Spirit. That means the seeds of your mind, heart, will, and relationships are planted firmly in the Spirit. Then we will reap the Spirit's fruit. And that's the point we want to end on today. When we plant our lives in the Spirit and sow these seeds, we will reap the Spirit's fruit. But if we sow these seeds, we plant our mind, heart, will, and relationships into the flesh... That's all we're going to get is flesh. And you can read about that in chapter 5. The works of the flesh are evident, Paul says. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, rivalries. He goes on and on. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit, the harvest, the crop that you get from the Holy Spirit, that's love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the Christian character you want. That's the harvest you want. That's what the Spirit will produce when you plant your life in the Spirit. You get these fruits of Christian character. Over the long haul, Christian, you will find yourself living in victory over the moral and spiritual and ethical challenges and pressures of your life and of our world, and they are many, that you will find yourself gaining the upper hand and advancing in the fight. This is what it means to grow Christian character. And it holds out to us an everlasting harvest, not just a harvest for right now, but an everlasting one, as he says in verse 8, The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If, verse 9, we do not give up. We are called to endure to the end. To cultivate a Christian character. To look like the people who are headed to heaven. To be ripened in our relationship with the Lord. So that when He comes, we will be ripe for heaven. That's what you want to be, ripe for heaven when harvest time comes. You do that by growing your Christian character, and you do that by following these these lessons that Paul gives us. A life planted in the Lord will make us as Christians. It will make us as Christians 
to truly stand out in this world as the people who have the character of Jesus. A life planted in the Lord is what it looks like to be on the path to heaven. A life planted in the Lord yields a harvest at the end of the age, the resurrection of the dead and entrance into the everlasting kingdom. When your life is planted not only in the Holy Spirit, but in death is literally planted like a seed in the ground, back to 1 Corinthians 15, that seed will bring forth eternal life in the resurrection. That's the great hope out in front of us. So let us grow in our Christian character by not growing weary in the quest. Let us pursue this calling. Not perfectionist, but progress, enjoying the fruit of the Spirit, both for ourselves and for the good of our neighbor and for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would indeed work these things in us, that you would help us to have lives planted in the Spirit, deep into the Spirit, so that we grow our Christian character, so that we look and live and love more and more like Jesus, so that we, we conform ourselves to His example and to His image. Would you please take the holy and heavenly character of Christ and help us to cultivate that in ourselves, not to be perfectionists, but to focus on the gospel and to grow by planting ourselves in you, hoping and trusting in you. We trust you to do this work for us and to bring us at last fully ripened for heaven, ready to be with you forever. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.